let's go ahead and read our scripture for this morning. So we're in the book of Daniel, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. The king then commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations, food, and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him to not defile himself. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. For those of you that may have missed it, in 2021, the year that I started here at at Bluff Park, the Atlanta Braves did what? The Atlanta Braves won the World Series. That's right. It was a long time coming. It was something that I found myself thinking about this week and specifically, specifically the type of season that they had that year. If you can remember all the way back to the preseason of that baseball season, people had really high expectations for the Braves, for them to win their division and for them to at least have a shot at going to the championship at going to the World Series, but things did not go as planned during the season. The week that I started here, I looked back to see what their record was. July of 2021, the Braves were 44 and 44, which is about as mediocre as you can possibly get. So they're about halfway through the season, and they have already fallen short of all of the expectations that were placed on them. And then to make matters worse, that week, their best player, their star outfielder, goes down with a torn ACL, which is a season-ending injury. And so at that point, everybody that was paying attention completely writes off the Braves for the whole rest of the season. What they expected them to do and what I expected them to do was for the Braves to start making phone calls to other teams who were still in contention so that they could sell off their talent, so they could acquire some assets and what? Get ready for next year. Everybody either expected them to do that or to just sit back and hope that maybe somehow the season would just manage to turn around on its, its own. To hope that someone who was already on the roster would step up and become a leader and would spark the team and they could go on a run, but that it really wasn't worth investing anything else in other than, other than that. But the Braves didn't do either one of those things. 
They did something completely different, completely different from what everybody else expected. They went out there and they started to make phone calls to other organizations to acquire talent. And I and everybody else who was watching thought it was a horrible idea, thought it was one of the worst mistakes that they could possibly make. And what they did is they replaced their star outfielder with four other outfielders who ended up sparking the Braves, one of which ended up being the MVP of the World Series. And the Braves went on to do what no one, no one expected them to be able to do, especially at that point in the season. They went on to win the World Series. Here's what I want you to notice about that. The Braves, for the second half of the 2021 season, they were different from everybody else. And because of that, they made a difference. I knew that I would work that into a sermon one day. I just want to make that very clear to everybody. When that happened, I knew that that was going to preach. I just didn't know when. This week, we are starting a four-week stewardship sermon series that we're going to call Difference Maker, which means we're going to be talking about how we can be a people who are making a difference, which means I'm going to assume and I'm going to trust that every single one of us in here wants to make a difference, that, that we want to leave the world at least a little bit better than how we, how we found it, which is great. I think all of us are probably on the same page about that. But the reality is, while we want to make a difference, we feel the pull and we feel the pressure to just be like everybody else. In other words, we desperately want to make a difference on the world around us, but we are terrified of actually being different. And that's what I want us to flesh out over these next couple of weeks. If we want to be a people who are willing to make a difference, who are striving to make a difference, we have to at least be okay with the fact that that, that may make us a little bit different from the folks who are, who are around us. And so for a lot of us, I think what that's going to boil down to is stewarding our time and our gifts and our money and our resources differently from maybe everybody else around us so that we both as individuals and we as a church can actually begin to make a difference in the community around us. What we read before we talked about the Braves and maybe like the greatest comeback story of all time in the middle of a baseball season, what we read just before that was from the book of Daniel. It was the first eight verses of the book of Daniel, actually. And I wanted us to spend some time in this book because I think in it we find such a perfect example of exactly what we're going to talk about over these next four weeks. We find four difference makers who are difference makers because they are willing to be different from everybody else who is around them. So we're going to spend this week in Daniel and we're going to spend next week in Daniel because again I think it just aligns so well with the mindset that I would love for us to take on over this next month. And these first 8 verses in this book they set the stage perfectly for what is what is to come. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has come to Jerusalem and he's laid siege to it. 
And we learn that God allowed this to happen, that he gave Judah, that he gave the Israelites and gave the king into the hand of the Babylonians, which if that's a surprise to you, it really shouldn't be because that was a long time coming over the course of the story of of the Old Testament. And we don't have time to get into why this happened, but the gist of it is this people, these Israelites, they have chosen to be unfaithful to God. Or in other words, they had chosen to be like everybody else, like all of the other nations around them rather than the distinct people that God was calling them to be. And because of that, God allowed this to happen. So King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they they conquer the city, they sack Jerusalem, and at first we read that the king just gets a whole bunch, a whole bunch of stuff. That he takes all these vessels from the house of the Lord and he takes them back to Shinar, which is just another word for Babylon, and he puts them in his own trophy case, back in his home, right? In his temple to his gods. But he doesn't just take stuff, does he? He also takes people. He tells Ashpenaz to bring the best people back to Babylon that Israel has to offer. The young and the handsome and the wise and the educated. Bring those people back to Babylon so that they can serve in the courts of the king. And that is how the story of Daniel and his friends start. They are kidnapped and they are shipped to a foreign land. And once they get there, life seems like it's going to be pretty good for these folks. I mean, they're given the food that the king eats and the wine that the king drinks. They are treated like like royalty. And on top of that, they're educated, which means they're receiving special attention each and every day, which all of that sounds great. But I think we have to ask the question, what is Babylon up to here? What is it that Babylon is trying to accomplish by bringing back the best and the brightest? Because these eight verses, to me, they they feel like verses that we normally blow right through when we pick up this book so that we can get to the stories that we recognize that are a little bit later on. When really, I think these verses set up the whole tension for what is about to happen. Because look, here's what Babylon is trying to accomplish. They're going around to all of these neighboring nations, including Israel, and they're conquering them because they are more powerful than any other nation around them at this at this time, but they don't just want to conquer them. They don't just want to rule over them. They want them to become a part of Babylon. So when they go in and they conquer a nation, they take the folks who were supposed to be the future leaders of that, of that nation, the educated and the wise, And they bring them up to Babylon and they wine and they dine them and they educate them so that soon they will no longer be Israelites. Instead, they will be Babylonians. And this week, I I tried to picture myself in that situation where Daniel and these other folks find themselves in. And when I did, I realized that at least I would feel like that I I had a few options in, in in this moment. Don't get me wrong, things don't look great, right? But I at least have a few things I need to decide around how I'm going to react to being placed in this situation. 
Option number one is what the Babylonians desperately want them to do, which is just to simply assimilate, right? And this will be the path of of least resistance, really probably no resistance, to make a decision to go with the system, to give into the scheme, and to allow yourself to just blend right in and become a part of this foreign conquering nation, which I think is probably what many of them did. They tasted the king's food and they drank the king's wine and they realized that this isn't going to be too bad for them if they just go with the flow. And I'm sure many of them decided to do that. Option two is is to compromise. Option two is is to try and walk, walk that middle line. To not completely give up on your relationship with Yahweh. But also to begin to explore what these Babylonian gods are all are all about. To continue to call yourself a Jew, at least with that inner voice in your head, to, to not completely step away from your faith, but to compromise just enough so that from the outside looking in, you can at least fit into that mold that the Babylonians have cast for you. So much so that maybe you can even begin to excel in that, in that environment. And my guess is that most of the Babylonians would have been completely fine with this. Because you know what? These folks, I think most of them, eventually will give up. And eventually, by all accounts, they too will become Babylonians. That's the option that I bet most of these Jewish folks took when they found themselves in this situation. And this book, this book of Daniel, is a book about four young men who took a different option from everybody else around them. They made the decision to be committed Israelites in the face of immense pressure. They decided to remain faithful. That's why we know their names thousands of years later. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what this whole, the whole rest of this book is about, is these four men seeking to remain faithful when the culture around them desperately wants them to just be like everybody else. And here's what I realized. The, the story of these four men, this is not just their story. This is our story as well. This week, like I said, we're beginning a four-week stewardship series. And really, this is just an intro to that, if you couldn't tell. Because I want you to spend some time this week asking yourself some questions. I would love for you to wrestle with these questions for the whole duration of the series. But I especially would love for you to wrestle with them this week. In what areas of my life do I feel like I am remaining faithful? In what areas of my life do I feel like I'm beginning or I am compromising? And in what areas of my life am I just like everybody else? My hope is that we would spend at least a little bit of time wrestling with where God might be calling us to be different than the world around us. So that maybe we can be a people who, like these four men that we find in this book, end up making a difference for the world around us. That we would be willing to speak to our spouse differently so that our marriage can make a difference. That we would raise our kids differently so that our family can make a difference. That we would treat our jobs differently from everybody else does so that maybe that would be an avenue that God can use for us to make a difference on the world around us. That we would be willing to manage our money differently from everybody else around us so that we would be empowered to make a difference by by how we give. 
that we would be willing to allocate our time differently so that we could make a difference in the world. I mean, you see where I'm going, right? If we want to make a difference, we're going to have to be willing to be different than the world around us. If we can become a people who are willing to steward our lives in a way that is different from how the world tells us we should, I think we will become a people who are making a difference. I think we'll become a church that is making a difference. Three questions that I would love for you to be pinging around in your head this week. Where are you remaining faithful? Where is it in your life that you know you're beginning to compromise? And where have you just slumped into a pattern of being just like everybody else? I feel pretty confident that God is calling us and that God is calling this church to make a difference, which means we have to be willing to be different. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.